tones today, man? Yeah, well, you probably didn't get a chance to really listen to this. No, I, no, I did. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can actually tell a difference.
always listening to things I say like you. I always do. Hey, ask Liz about that. <laughs> she knows. She says she's always listening to things I say. Daniel. That is not the argument. Daniel. Times I've called your name some broken night You showed up, patched me up like you do every time I get amnesia I forget you keep coming around Ain't no way you ever let me down Good God
Hey, good morning, people. How are you this morning? All of you High Point regulars, glad to see you here. And those visiting, we're especially glad that you're here this morning. And those of you that are tuning in online, uh, thanks for tuning in. So I've never seen so many, I think Dave mentioned it, I've never seen so many lumberjacks in a service. <laughs> flannel, flannel is in, you know, is in right now, at least on, on this Sunday. So well, we're glad that you uh, at least have something on as you came here to worship this morning. So however you came, we're glad that you're here. We'd like to get to know you just a little bit better. So behind the seats, you've got a connect card. If you could fill that out for us and let us know that you are here and, uh, there's, and we get to know you just a little bit better, that would be great. So it's a, it's a great time to be in the Pacific Northwest. If you get up early in the morning and see the sunrises coming over that mountain, my goodness, God's creation is in full display. And so uh, very grateful for where we live. I'm very grateful that we have the freedom to come here and worship and uh, not be worried about uh, what's going to hinder us from worshiping the God that we so love and uh, that so mercifully blesses us. And if you came here this morning and you're just uh, you're checking us out, you don't know what really about this God thing, I trust that uh, either through the worship uh, music or through Pastor Kevin's message or through the people sitting next to you, that you'll sense that Jesus Christ is in this place because he is. And we've come here to worship. Those of you who have come here to worship your Savior because you know him as your Savior and Lord, Man, this is a great time to worship this morning. This is what it's all about, is that we get to sing our praises and honor him who created us, who saved us, and who's going to sustain us. Amen. So we long for him this morning, and uh, until he comes, we're going to praise him. So let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, how I thank you so much for your blessings upon us, your graciousness to us. Lord, there's a lot of chaos in this world right now. And Lord, we have come here this morning, and we, as we come to you all, every time, asking for the only peace that can be brought about is through you. This world offers no peace. So, Father, give us your peace this morning as we praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. When I grow up, I want to be Mark Rayburn. <laughs> Would you guys stand up? Let's, let's worship.
definitely belongs to you. 
And we find that out in a million different ways. For me, it was the hard way, of course. But we lay that at your feet. We lay whatever struggle, whatever is blocking us from the freedom that you give us if we will only believe and have faith. Just take that away. Take it out of their path, God. Brothers and sisters, in your son's most precious name, amen. You guys can be seated. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It was just Jamie getting close. All right. I, I did fix something. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, I, but I, I accept that. I accept that. Thank you for pointing that out publicly. Um, Hey, look around. We, um, I hope you get a sense as to why we're going to three services. And here's a little mantra for the three services, okay? This is a mantra I hope that is just going to start coming out of us. It's just going to ooze out of us. And that is that we live for purpose and not preference, okay? Our, as a church, we are called to sacrifice. And, and, and the small little sacrifice that that's going to entail in making room for other people because I, I just want us thinking about that's what it's about. It is about purpose that God has given us, uh, not, not, not our own individual preferences, okay? And when our preference is purpose, that's awesome. That's when it's really good. But when it's not, that's the challenge. So I just want you to be mindful of that. Before we jump into our study, as we begin the study of Job, I want to pray for those that, when you think of Job, you might think of suffering, you might think of patience. But I, I'd like for us to take a moment to pray for what is going on in Israel, and I, I want to give you a moment quietly. And, and what I believe we need to pray for is we need to pray for peace. We need to pray for a person of peace, people of peace. We need to pray for some intervention in which the war will cease and there will become a meeting of the minds and there will be restoration and, and all that needs to happen there to end the, the suffering. That If you just begin to read a, a portion of it, it just doesn't seem humanly possible. And yet it is. So let's take a moment quietly and let's, let's lift up what is going on there, and then I'll, I'll close this.
Father, people just like us, both Israelis and Palestinians, their lives have been shattered forever different. The loss of life, the loss of homes, infrastructure, the loss of peace, and then maybe in many cases just the loss of hope. Or it is hard to imagine living under such conditions. And God, we pray. We know that Israel holds a special place in your heart. It's the birthplace of the Christian faith. And so, Lord, we pray for a person of peace or people of peace to rise up, to be heard, to make sense. We pray that you would do a work in the hearts of all that are there, that the evil would stop and that peace would prevail and that lives could be restored. And God, we pray that in and through all of it, that your people, followers of Jesus, Messianic Jews, that you'd give them the courage to say the things that need to be said, to love in a way that is just supernatural. And God, that you would redeem what is going on there and you'd be glorified in and through it. Father, I pray as well as we up up your words, we begin a study in the book of Job. None of us likes to face suffering. We don't even like to think about it. But God, it's a part of the human condition. It's around every corner, the potential for it. And everyone in this room, and everyone's tuned in on the live stream, Lord, we've, we've been a part of it. We've been in it, and we know others that we love deeply that are going through it. So God, we ask that you would please speak through me in a way that would bring hope and understanding to suffering. I have nothing to say, but God, your word has everything to say. Please speak loudly and clearly in ways that we can reflect your glory and goodness through the midst of suffering, whether it be our own or those we love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I try to each year to do a study, a book in the New Testament and a book in the Old Testament. And I was looking forward to getting to Job there's a particular passage of, of Job that just smacks me around every time, and I need it a lot, and, I, and we'll get to that in a, in a few weeks. Um, but Job, I, I don't know what word association, if I was to say Job, what comes to mind, you, you might think, I have no idea what you're talking about. You might think the patience of Job. You might think the suffering of Job. You might think the, that, was, that was the book where I really questioned whether God's a loving God. That, that, you might say that's the book that actually caused me to walk away from the faith. How can you worship a God that allows that to happen? Well, this morning, we are going to begin. We're going to be looking at chapters 1 and 2, which really sets the stage for the entire book itself. And I'm actually going to read chapters 1 and 2. I'll read it rather quickly, but um, I I want us to get the full picture of what... uh, and the stage that's being set so that we can really understand suffering. Now, what we have to understand about Job, Job might, uh, might be the oldest book in the Bible. The author is unknown. And so there's, there is some, certainly some mystery in, in that sense. But Job, by all accounts, both those in the church and outside the church, attribute to Job as a, as a great literary work that the, the different genres that are in the book itself, the poetry, the prose, the allegory, the, the, uh, the memorable sayings, the songs, make it a, uh, a, a respectful piece of, of literature. And so 
I, I hope we're going to see some of that come out. Now we're, gonna, now, we're not going to hit every chapter. We're, just, we're not going to do that. But we're going to take the next five weeks and, and go through it. And so for that, I'm gonna, what I want to do this morning is I want from chapters one and two, I'm going to just make six observations about suffering that I think is really important that we frame the suffering that, that we inevitably are going to face. Some of you in here right now, you're suffering. It could be a chronic pain. It could be a disease. It, it could be a relationship that's just completely flamed out. It could be a, a child that is just lost. And you're just suffering. And you're wondering, how long can I go on? And, and you're looking up at God. I mean, it's the natural place to go. I, I remember, f- for me, when my father was killed, and I heard the news instantaneously. I was nine years old. I ran into my bedroom. I took a knife out, and I carved in the windowsill, I hate God. That was my response. That, I had to take that, that, that feeling, and I had to channel it somewhere. And God was the person at the time that I felt needed to, to bear that. And I imagine some of you might be in the same exact way. And the question is, how do we handle suffering? And I think the universal question when we are facing suffering, or someone we love, someone we care deeply about, we watch them going through this. And, and what's so hard for us about suffering is, is when we see it, especially in other people, there's, there's that little voice in the back of your head, more than likely, and in the back of my head that says, what if that were to happen to me? And it brings a level of, of despair sometimes, not only for the circumstances that that person's facing, but then you tack on to it the fact that, wow, if it happens to them, it might happen to me. And it's very troubling. And what we fight for in suffering is we fight, and we all ask the question, why? Why me? Why them? Why? Why God? Well, guess what? Job doesn't answer that question. As much as we want to know the answer to that question, and I'll address that a little bit this morning, Job does not answer that question. God uses Job to bring perspective and to bring hope and a word of truth to us about how we are to face suffering. And we'll, we'll get through that as we go through the book. But let's all get there together. I want you to ask, if you would, get your Bible open to your table of contents. And the book of Job is about almost halfway down in your Bible. And whatever page that corresponds to, you'll be at chapter 1, which is a good place to be. And I'm going to read chapters 1 and 2, and I'll, I'll read them rather quickly. But I want to draw six observations from chapters 1 and 2 about suffering that I hope can help frame the inevitable for all of us. Whether we're in, it, in the midst of it right now, or knowing that it is around the corner. So Job chapter 1, if you'll follow along with me. It says, there was a man... Uh, there was a man in the country of Uz. Uz, by the way, is uh, probably present-day Syria or Jordan. Okay, so we're talking about the Middle East. We're talking about neighbors to Israel. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. The kids were having a party. And Job, being kind of the family priest, was concerned. He wanted them to be right with God. So we're just seeing what, what a man, what a father 
Job was, that he would seek to do his part in every way to try to make them right with God. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having, caused God, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, the scene has changed. I hope you know it, it changes from the earth. Now, now we're in heaven, and we get a little picture. We get to go to work with God today. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Chapter 2. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without just cause. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said, told Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. The Job, uh, then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he was among, sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all this adversity they had happened to him, that had happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. 
When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. They sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but now no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Now, we're not going to get to those very last passages of Scripture. We'll, we'll pick up the friends a little bit actually next week. But I just, just a little note from there. Notice that in the midst of this incredible suffering they see, notice the silence is what they gave Job. And I, just, just a little parenthetical, this is, the, hey, this is free of charge right here, right? When you're helping somebody through a very difficult time, don't underestimate the power of just sitting with them in silence, okay? Don't have to have an answer for everything. Don't have to fill up the room with words. Just sometimes presence matters a great deal. Okay, so hopefully you, you kind of followed along with me as I read. We're, we're gonna look at six observations. Uh, the, the, before the first observation, what I want you to know is, is uh, there's an interaction here between God and Satan. It's, it's in heaven. This is like going to work with God one day, right? And what is at stake here in this conversation, which really what I'm going to call a wager, if you will, and it's a wager in which God, uh, uh, is, uh, uh, Job, excuse me, is going to be tested. Of course, Job doesn't know anything about this, and he never does find anything out about this. But what is happening is that God's integrity itself and his word is on the line. And it's before the, all the heavenly realms. You see, Satan is, is kind of taunting God in a way, Believing that Job will cave, that Job will give in, that Job's faithfulness that God speaks so prominently of and so proudly of is really false. It's not in and of God itself. It's there's something else going on there. And so, so God is, is, is using Job and, and the suffering that's going to happen uh, to do something that Satan does not want to happen, and that is that Job will be faithful. And in the end, what that means is that God will be glorified, and Satan does not want that at all. And so the first observation I want us to be mindful of as we face suffering is that suffering has been used for a heavenly purpose and more than likely will be used again. We tend to think of suffering as only one dimensional and that is, okay, how, how if I'm facing suffering as a follower of Jesus, what do I do with that here on earth? Well, consider just for a moment that the suffering that you might be going through has a heavenly purpose that you'll never see. Maybe God is pointing you out to Satan and saying, look at my daughter. Watch how she goes through this. And Satan is challenging and trying to make a wager again. If, if it's happened one time, it's more than likely happened before. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, just mindful of, of, the, of the reality that we, we live here on earth, but there's a heavenly reality that we're a part of as well too, even though we may not know it. In Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, uh, Paul speaking of the Gentiles' inclusion, the non-Jews included into God's people called the church. He says, this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavens. So I think when we're thinking about suffering, we have to remember that it has a, two, it has a two-dimensional effect and impact. And how we go through it certainly has an earthly impact, and we'll get to that later. But don't forget about the heavenly impact that we may not know anything about. But we have here in Scripture an understanding that certainly there is one there. That's observation number one. Let's look at observation number two. Go back to verse eight of chapter one. It says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Notice that God is speaking well of Job. Now, Job is not sinless. 
But Job has lived his life in such a way that, that there's no unrepentant sin. There's nothing hiding that would preclude him or disqualify him for God's words of praise. Which, the challenging aspect at, to that is that we tend to associate suffering with sin. But in this case, observation number two is that not all suffering is the consequences of sin. It's just not. Now, is there cause and effect sin? Yes, I, I mean, is, or excuse me, is there cause and effect suffering? Of course there is. Uh, we have in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, this is a clear promise. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And we understand that. That when we do something stupid, when we do something sinful, and something happens to us that's not good, we, we kind of make that connection. And we don't typically look up and blame God. But what has happened to Job and what has happened to you and to me and what will happen again is that there will be a a type of suffering that comes out of nowhere. And you're like, what's going on? I mean, God, I'm not living perfectly. But but I'm obeying. I'm I'm doing everything I know to do to honor you. and And I know that I'm not doing it perfectly. But that's the kind of suffering that happens in our broken world. It comes, comes out of nowhere. And when it happens to you like that, my friend, you are in good company. You're in the company of Job. You're in the company of Jesus, who in the garden, when he prayed, God, please, if there's another way to do this, the suffering I'm about to endure, if there's another way to do this, please. And God says, no, there's not another way. This is the way. So just understand that there are going to be times when... Um, when suffering happens and it's not related to our sin, okay? Let's look at observation number three. If you look at verses nine through 11, this is when Satan comes. And and here's where we actually have to give Satan some credit. I know it sounds crazy, but Satan points out to God, he says, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, he's saying his, his love for you, his fear for you, his faithfulness to you, Does he really do it for nothing, just for you? I mean, come on, look at all that he has. Look at the way you've blessed him. Might that have some connection, God? And so he makes a wager, Satan does. God goes along with it. And in this wager comes the testing of Job's faith. Now what we realize in this is that Job passes the test. But this is really important through the book of Job. Job passes the test, but guess what? It's only the first quarter. He is ahead. It's Job 1, Satan 0, first quarter. Because things, as the game goes on, will change a little bit. And we'll see that as we go. But what I, what I want us to notice here is that Job passes the test, which means that the observation I want to make about suffering is that suffering tests if our love for God is supreme. So we got to give some props to Satan just a little bit here because he's, he, he's questioning that. He's, he's bringing that out. And when we see in Job's response, well, first we see mourning, right? We see, and that was, and that was their custom, to mourn that way, to rip their clothes, to pour ashes on their head. It was, it was a public understanding that Job was mourning the loss of his family and the upheaval in his life. But he doesn't sin, the Bible says. He doesn't sin because he doesn't blame 
God. We saw that his wife blames God, and we'll come to that in a moment. But he doesn't blame God. He actually acknowledges God's sovereignty. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Job understood and demonstrates that his supreme value, his supreme love, was not in the things that God gave him, but in God himself. And he does this not even knowing why he's suffering. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said that watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Job understood that at the first quarter. At the first quarter of this test, Job understood that. He showed that his love was for God and not the things of God, even though he doesn't know why he's suffering. And, and this is where I want to drill down on this for just a moment. When we suffer, when we see somebody suffering, we fight to know why. And in some cases, what we do, and I've done this, is you kind of hold God hostage and you say, God, I'm not going to fully love you. I'm not going to fully trust you. You must tell me why. I need a why. And when you want the why and I want the why, what we're saying is, God, I don't love you supremely. I don't love you above all of the things. You're a means to the end, and the means is I need to know why. And if you tell me why, if you say something like, I need you to, this suffering's going to make you and prepare you for this down the road or for that down the road. Oh, okay, I understand that. Okay, I accept that. That is loving God for the things he can give you, in this case through suffering rather than loving God supremely alone for who he is, which is what God wants from us, which is what we need from him. And suffering gives us that opportunity to truly love him for him. But it's not just suffering. It's suffering without ever knowing the why and being okay with that. You see, when you can suffer, and I can suffer without having to know why, certainly we, we can mourn, and, and we, can, we can just plead to God and, and say, help me through this. That's okay. But when we hold him hostage, and our love fully loving him to a why, well, then Satan's kind of on to us. And he's saying, you know, that Kevin that you speak so well of, he doesn't love you exclusively for who you are. He loves you for what, he, for what you can give him and what you can provide for him. And the only way to really be sure that you love God for who he is alone, my friends, the only way is suffering. And it's suffering without the why. So let me just ask you, is God your end game? Is God my end game? Or are you really after the things of God? You've you just got, you got to know and be honest with yourself about that. There's a term that when I was an early Christian, I read this book. It was called Desiring God, The Motivations of a Christian Hedonist. And it was by John Piper. And John Piper talked about Christian hedonism. And in this book, the, the mantra was, is that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Now that, for a minute, I'm thinking, that just sounds whacked. But what he was proposing from scripture was that, that God is most glorified in our lives when what we seek to, most be, to be most satisfied is from him. 
When we realize that the most satisfied we'll be, the happiest we'll be, the most content we'll ever be is not in the things of this world, not in the things that he provides, but in him alone, in a relationship with him, God gets the glory in all that. And in order to really get there, my friends, suffering gives us that opportunity. But to suffer without the why. Observation number four. Jesus, or God responds to, say, uh, to Satan's wager. He says, very well, the Lord said, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And he does the same thing in chapter two. And, and the, the fourth option is it's suffering. And this is hard for us, but suffering is under the sovereignty of God. This is not two behemoth powers fighting each other and waging this battle against each other and the best man, this is not happening. Satan is subjected to and subservient to God because God is sovereign. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. And so what we have here is we have Satan is the one who brings this, this wager to God. And God is the one who limits Satan. And Satan is the one who inflicts the suffering onto Job, not God. As a matter of fact, God actually says to him, very well, the, uh, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. So he's giving power to Satan to do what Satan wants to do, to which Satan chooses, as we read, to destroy, to decimate, and to bring death. That was not, God didn't say, okay, Satan, in this wager, go, 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 go destroy everything, go, go kill everything. No, he says, I, I will give you the power for your own purpose. Now, in that, what we have to recognize is that God has allowed that to happen. As a sovereign God, the sovereign God, he has allowed that to happen. But let me just give you this, and I know that's, that's hard to fit into your head, and we'll, we'll, as we go through Job, I, I hope that we'll be able to see, and, and maybe that'll sit better with you. But just understand this for a moment. At the very least, what we have in this is we have a sovereign, loving, caring God who is limiting the suffering and evil in the life of Job. Take that out. If you say, I, I, can't, I can't really fit that into my worldview. Well, well, the alternative is, is that you have some capricious, random, limitless evil that's just out there where suffering happens. And, and, and that's, I, I don't find that more comforting. That, that's, that's, that's more dangerous to me. That, that sounds, I'm more fearful of that. Acknowledging that God sovereignly allows this to happen is not easy. But I'd much rather have someone who, who has shown us his love in, in ways that are undeniable. That he is, he is limiting the suffering that happens. Observation number four. Observation number five. Now we come to Job's wife. And man, does she not speak for all of us at one point? I mean, all this happens to Job. 
Remember, this is Job who was quoted as, who feared God and turned away from evil. He was the greatest man among all people of the East. And she's thinking of her husband, the upstanding life that he has lived, the faithfulness to God, and then this happens. And she says, husband, curse God and die. My friends, that is a statement of anger. And we've all been there. I, uh, I'm hoping, we all, I've been there, I hope you were there with me. Where, where God is just like messing with you. And you're like, I've not done anything that's that bad. And we curse God. Some of you are cursing God right now. And, and I can understand that. I can understand that. Because this just doesn't seem right. And what does she do? How does she sin? She blames God for it. And when you blame God, you're saying, God, you've done something wrong. You're doing something wrong. And um, that's, that's one that's not a true statement and true that doesn't sit well with God. So observation number five is that suffering is more challenging for those whose faith is in God. I mean, think about it. To someone whose faith isn't in God, they just see suffering as something that's just a part of life. I mean, it sucks, but it's a part of life. They don't feel the perception of betrayal that Job's wife felt, that we have felt at times, that when something bad happens, you're like, I'm, I'm really doing the best I can, and you're going to do this to me? And it feels like betrayal. And so it ratchets up the suffering. It makes it worse. And as I mentioned before, and you might know somebody, people have walked away from the faith because of it, because they cannot process it and fit it in to their understanding of a loving God. They just can't do it. Now let me say this before I get to observation number six. It is okay, it is okay to verbalize your anger. It's okay, God can handle that. What is not okay is to stay angry at God. It's just not okay. You don't have the knowledge to understand what's going on. And when you really, if you really want to break it down, my friends, if, you, if you're thinking to yourself, and the reason we're angry is because you think, I don't deserve that. If we ever want to engage God in a, hey, you deserve, I deserve kind of thing, that does not end well for us. Because we do not deserve anything but death. So suffering, which is not as bad as death, we really can't complain about that. So we just need to recognize that, that, that we don't deserve what we think we deserve. And in the midst of our anger, we have, we got to talk to somebody. We got to go to God. We have to work through God. Hopefully as we go through Job, it'll help you to frame suffering and understand suffering a little bit differently. But you, you, you got to let go of that. I got to let go of that. Because it's not, it's not right and it's not healthy to be angry at God. Last observation. Same verse, chapter 2, verse 9. What we need to understand in this is, is Satan's strategy for you and for me, it, it, you know, he's a one-trick pony. But it's an effective trick. Everything he does has this in mind. What Satan wants to do, he's called the deceiver. His one-trick pony is to deceive you into believing that God does not love you. 
if he can get you there, game over. Man, you're wobbling. That is not a good place to be. And so he will try everything to get you to question God's love. And when he is in the boardroom of heaven, and, and when, when he casts this, this wager, what he hopes happens is not that Job's unfaithful, although that's part of it. He is hoping that Job starts to question, does God really love me? I mean, he did this at the very beginning. Go back into the Garden of Eden when he was with Adam and Eve. Remember, God said to Adam and Eve, you can have everything but this tree. Leave that tree, which is the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, leave that to me. And then Satan comes slithering up to them and says, hey, come on. If God really loves you, is he going to withhold anything from you? Come on. Take a bite. So he's, he's getting in Adam and Eve the, the, the thought for the moment, hey, maybe God doesn't really love me like I thought he did because he's withholding from me something that, yeah, why would a loving God not let me have that? He's a one-trick pony, my friends. And that is exactly what he's trying to do here. And this is the last observation, is that Satan uses suffering to get us to question God's love for us. He's a one-trick pony, but it's an effective trick. And that's exactly what he's trying to do to, to Job here. But here's how I love, this is the best part about this message. I, was, I couldn't wait to get to this part. God turns it right back onto Satan. Satan says, I'm going to use suffering. Yeah, I'm going to use suffering to get them to question God's love. Oh, it's a great plan. Are you ready? Let's go on three. Down, set, let's go, right? <laughs> and God comes back at him. And he says, through suffering, I'm going to show my love. And it was the suffering of Jesus Christ on a cross who did not deserve to die. And he suffered for the sins of the world. A gruesome, grotesque death. And so God says, you think I don't love you because you're suffering? Oh, don't forget. I gave my son to suffer for you so you would know that I love you, so that you could love me. He turns it on him. I, I just love that part of it. Satan thinking he's got it. And, and, and notice that, that Jesus died not, not he didn't submit himself um, uh, to and obey God for what he was gonna get from God. He was gonna get nothing. But he got everything for us. He made a way for us to be forgiven fully for all of our sins. No guilt, no shame. We can become children of God. And, and then what God does is he, he credits us. He gives us credit as if we lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. And then he relates to us every moment after that exactly like that. He turns suffering on its head. So those are my observations. There are six of them. And, and I hope that they help you as we move forward through this book because suffering is real in our lives. So my challenge for you this week, one, is that you would glorify God in the suffering that you will face in this life. That you will just be mindful of the things we just talked about. And, and, and you will not curse God. Uh, and, and you will not 
hold him hostage to a why. And, and that you will not, um, with a bad attitude, walk around and, and, and think you deserve something different. No, no. L- let us really be mindful that when suffering comes that we glorify him in the way that Job did, realizing it's just the first quarter. And we're going to go through all, all four quarters of this game, okay? But then secondly, and this one might blow your mind a little bit, I would challenge you to complete in your sufferings the suffering of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. What Paul is saying, he's not saying that Jesus' suffering didn't quite fill the bill. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that when I suffer for Christ and I suffer in a way that glorifies and honors God. The people around me, though they weren't there to see the sufferings of Christ, they see them in me. And God does something amazing in that. And so may I challenge you, as I'm challenging myself, that when things, when you start to suffer, is suffer so that you suffer in a way that you fulfill or fill up the sufferings of Christ before those who see you suffering but did not see Jesus suffering, but somehow God will make that connection in their heads and hearts when you and I suffer in a way that glorifies and honors him. Okay? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this, the book of Job and these first two chapters that we can understand a man who was more likely in a better place than any of us. And God, we thank you for his example. We pray your blessing as we continue through this book. We know that we have an adversary and an enemy who would want to distract us from really understanding what suffering is about. And he wants to play that one trick pony that he's got in our lives. Lord God, may it not be because we understand and have framed suffering in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand? Let's worship again. Yeah.
chance to continue to worship God in which we give back to him from what he's given us. If you're visiting with us, please, this is, this is not for you at all. We want you just to, hopefully, as you have something in your heart, um, you can also, on um, the kiosk on your way out, we have a visitor's gift for you. We'd love to get that in your hands as well, too. But let me pray and ask for God's blessing on our offering. Father, thank you for the challenge to give back to you something that we hold on to so dearly. Uh, Lord God, we pray that as we give back to you that it would be a sacrifice that all the heavenly realms would see in our faithfulness back to you a trust in you that would shut them all up. It would be our declaration that our trust and hope and our security and identity is not in what we own and what we possess, but it is in you and whose we are. And we pray your blessing over this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. A few things to catch up on. Watch the screen if you would, please. like managing money, bills, holiday spending, does your anxiety instantly start to rise? You're not alone. But you know what? God never meant for us to live that way. He wants us to walk in financial freedom. And we have an incredible group of leaders here building faith with your finances. And they're offering a workshop um, Friday, November 10th, and Friday, November 17th, from 6.30 to 8.30 here at High Point. You can sign up on the web or app, and if you indicate that you need childcare, it will be provided. And oh my goodness, I cannot forget, it's free. So make sure that you sign up for that. We also have on Saturday, November 11th coming up is our High Point Men's Breakfast. These are starting to become a little legendary. You see, the men of High Point like a little bit of waffles and a little bit of eggs along their most prized possession called bacon. So it starts at 7.30, it's $5 um, per ticket. Let the uh, men in charge know how many guys are coming by signing up on the web or app. And it's just a great way to meet some men and sit around the table and have some good conversation. Speaking of food, we have our annual senior adult Christmas luncheon coming up on December 9th, a Saturday. But they are spoiling themselves with catering this year. So tickets go on sale today starting at $10. I'm sorry, they are $10, but the tickets start today. And you can buy those on the web or on the app or even out in the lobby after service. Don't miss out on such a fun way to kick off the Christmas month. Lastly, speaking of Christmas, out in the lobby, you might have noticed our handmade Guatemalan ornaments. Yes, these are all these little beads are put together by beautiful women in Guatemala. They're $10 each. There's also keychains. They too are $10. And all the proceeds go to help the women and their families, which in turn helps their communities. 
And speaking of communities, let's all go out into our own communities this week and share the amazing love of Jesus. month we're trying to just update you about what High Point is doing with local missions and so I think most of you are aware of the weekend food bags that we're doing for kids um, but I wanted to give you a couple of visuals um, so first of all our numbers are up to 117 kids that we're supporting per week with food insecurity and this is what a bag looks like so we provide two lunches, two breakfasts, an applesauce, a fruit cup, and four snacks every week. And I think I have a picture up here. My packing team was really fast, so this is what half a week looks like. So half of one week, this is what it looks like. And then I wanted to dis dispel a myth. Um, if you're wanting to help with this program, you do not have to bring 117 of one item. So whatever it is that you're um, willing to bring or help with, this team has been so generous. So if you would like to be on our weekly email list that we send out that just lets us know what the needs are for that week, you can indicate that on your Connect card or come find me after service. Additionally, this year, um, we're going to be providing 24 families in the Bethel School District with Thanksgiving boxes. And um, that'll be our first year doing that as well. And then just quickly moving forward with the Forge Mentoring Program, we have two more matches that are happening this week. And I am still looking for people that aren't afraid of teenagers. Um, last time I was up here, a couple of you told me that you were praying about it or you took an application. And so I would love to follow up with you if you're willing to be a mentor to a teenager. Thank you so much and have a great Sunday. Before we let you go, I want to let you know about a strategic decision that we've made. <clears throat> and that is that we are going to, as of this Sunday, we're going to cease with a live stream. Um, and, and the reason for that, we're going we're gonna to record the service. And the services will be uh, uploaded. And you can watch them on Tuesday. We, we're our shooting for 3 p.m. So this service will be record, has been recorded. We'll put it up by Tuesday, 3 p.m., and we'll, we'll do that going forward, so they'll still be recording the service. But we really had to look at the, uh, the stewardship of both our people resources and the, the, the equipment that we needed to really make the live stream kind of pop. And it's, it, we just did not sense and see that that was the best use at this time for uh, the resources that God has given us. That's, that's, that's one aspect of the strategy. The second aspect of that strategy is, and, and this one I want to say very delicately, we, we are trying not to do anything that would keep somebody that can be here from being here. I realize sitting in the couch, in your pajamas, eating your cereal, watching church is really kind of neat. And of course, I guess I'm saying that to those who are watching that right now, and, and probably someone just spilt their, their, their cereal or something. <laughs> but we have, been, we have been commanded to gather together. And so we think that is really, really important. And we, we realize that part of what we've been doing maybe is um, we're shooting ourselves in the foot that way. Now we realize not everyone can be here. And so that's why we're going to record the services. And my suggestion is that if you like, if that Sunday morning niche really works for you, then all you got to do is you're just going to be off a Sunday, but you can always just go to our website. You can download um, from the history of messages and you, you'll get this message. And no, so next Sunday you can watch 
Those of you, well, you've already seen this. So give, skip a week. You'll be a week off, but you'll still have your Sunday morning time knowing that you can't get here to watch the service. You'll just be a little bit behind. And so we hope you understand that. We, we have prayed about that and really thought about that and hope that it continues to serve uh, our, our, our mission of aiming to know Jesus and make him known. Okay, so thank you for your understanding that. I'm asking you to stand up and I'll dismiss you to a glorious day. And we're going to have a prayer team. Yes. Sure. The date's wrong. The date's wrong. The date is December 2nd, not the 9th. Okay, we got to get that fixed. So the Christmas party for our retirees, for the, for the senior adults, is December 2nd, not the 9th. So 2nd, everyone walk out. What, when is it going to be? Thank you. All right. And we have our prayer team down here, Stephen right down here and Mark right down here. If you'd like someone to pray with you uh, at, at the conclusion of the service, they'd be more than happy to do that. God, thank you for your love for us, for your patience with us. As we go, Lord God, may we glorify you and honor you in everything we say and do. And as we face suffering, Lord God, may we do so having framed it with our understanding of Job. And may we continue to do that as we move forward in that study. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.